0: Welcome to the Backyard Professor Responds videos. I noticed a video produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with Elder David Bednar taking up the narrative. And it is a very slick production. It shows him himself at the banks of the Susquehanna River. And so this kind of lends credence to his whitewashed narrative that the church has falsely created concerning the restoration of the priesthood to the earth. It's a slick production. It's got wonderful background music. It helps you feel the spirit. He's talking in the voice of apostolic authority. He's dressed up in his Sunday duds, and he is giving us pure propaganda. Let's take a look
1: in may of 1829 the prophet joseph smith and his scribe oliver calgary were anxiously engaged in the work of translating the book of mormon another testament of jesus christ
0: Now, right here, I want to stop the narrative immediately, because the churches, apostles and the prophets, they don't quite grasp. I'm going to take that down. I had my note taped up, but I don't need it. I think the Mormon historians and the ex-Mormon historians are fundamentally more honest, and they see more clearly than the apostles and the prophets who contemplate continue to feed us propaganda. They show that picture of Joseph Smith looking at the plates, translating, and that is pure historical bunk. Let's first, I'll read from an address to all believers in Christ from one of the three witnesses, David Whitmer wherein he describes, I testify to the world that I am an eyewitness to the translation of the greater part of the Book of Mormon. Part of it was translated in my father's house in Fayette, Seneca County, New York. Farther on, I give a description of the manner in which the book was translated. That's page 11. On page 12, David Whitmer, one of the witnesses, says, I will now give you a description of the manner in which the Book of Mormon was translated. Joseph Smith would put the seer stone into a hat and then he put his face into the hat, drawing it closely round his face to exclude the light, and in the darkness the spiritual light would shine. A piece of something resembling parchment would appear, and on that appearing the writing. One character at a time would appear, and under it was the interpretation in English. Brother Joseph would read off the English to Oliver Cowdery, who was his principal scribe, And when it was written down and repeated to Brother Joseph to see if it was correct, then it would disappear and another character with the interpretation would appear. Thus the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God and not by the power of any man. In other words, the video depiction of how Joseph Smith was translated is pure hokum. It is deceptive and they know it. This is the proper picture of how Joseph Smith was translating. He put his face into the hat. When are we ever going to get some honesty about the reality? But get this, not only David Whitmer, one of the witnesses to the Book of Mormon... But Brant Gardner, in his superb analysis, The Gift and Power of God, translating the Book of Mormon. Now, here's a faithful LDS scholar and an apologist, Greg Colford Books, 2011. Let's hear what he says on page uh, 262 and 263. The most common method Joseph Smith used was to place the seer stone in the crown of his hat and then put his face in so as to exclude the light. But that wasn't the only way Joseph used his stone, however. Aradstoll testified in the 1826 Bainbridge hearing that Joseph held up a stone to a candle when he read a covered book. The two methods differ in the way light reaches the eyes. In the stone and the hat method, Joseph looked at the stone in a very low light. A Brant Gardner, one of the very best of LDS apologetics. One of the best scholars by far on the Book of Mormon is William L. Davis' Visions in a Seer Stone. This is a brand new 2020 book. Where he says on page 177, even after he obtained the plates, Smith rarely, if ever, directly consulted them during the translation process, but rather produced the work by focusing on his seer stone, while the plates themselves were covered with a cloth or hidden out of sight. You see, he wasn't even looking at the plates. Isaac Hale, Joseph's father-in-law, and an observer of the process, famously explained the manner in which he, Joseph, pretended to read and interpret was the same as when he looked for the money diggers, with the stone in his hat and his hat over his face, while the book of plates were at the same time hid in the woods. They weren't even in the same building with Joseph's Smith." Let's take another look at a very excellent new text, 2020, edited by Michael Hubbard McKay, Mark Amherst McGee, and Brian M. Howlett, producing Ancient Scripture, Joseph Smith's translation projects in the development of Mormon Christianity. This is, again, another 2020 book. In the very interesting chapter, Seeing the Voice of God, the Book of Mormon on its own translation, Samuel Morris Brown says this to say on page 138. He says, Smith placed a special stone, an interpreter or a seer stone, into the bottom of the hat. He positioned his face in the brim of the hat probably to exclude ambient light and dictated to his scribe. Later on in the text in another chapter, Anne Taves, Joseph Smith, Helen Schukman, and the experience of producing a spiritual text, she says this on page 172. Smith did not look at the plates while dictating the text. When are the apostles and prophets going to wake up to the actual historical evidence for crying out loud? Their propaganda convinces nobody anymore. She further goes on, Mormon historian and apologist Daniel C. Peterson offers a list of facts that should not be overlooked in offering explanations of the production of the Book of Mormon. For instance, Smith orally dictated a lengthy and complex book to his scribes in a short period of time. The scribes could see Joseph and report that he did not make use of books or manuscripts or even the gold plates, there it is again, which were obscured, but that he looked at a stone buried in the bottom of a hat, and the hat drawn around his face to block out exterior light. So there's more sources, more historical materials. But I'm not done yet. In the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies, this is Volume 7, 1998, the Book of Mormon Scholar and Textual Critic, Royal Scouson in his article on page 24, this is his article, How Joseph Smith Translated the Book of Mormon, Evidence from the Original Manuscript. He says on page 24, During the translation process, the witnesses were able to observe in an open setting, and the following occurred. The first item, he says, out of a few other items, Joseph Smith placing the interpreters, either the Urim and Thummim or the seer stone, in a hat and placing his face in the hat. That's Royal Skousen. He's a very faithful Mormon scholar who's been studying this subject for decades Another very excellent book, The Lost 116 Pages, Reconstructing the Book of Mormon, Missing Stories, from my good friend Don Bradley. This is a 2020 book as well, if I remember right. Greg Coford's nope, 2019, I lied. On page 43. He says in the footnote 18, David Whitmer reported Joseph Smith would put the seer stone into a hat and put his face in the hat, drawing it closely around his face to exclude the light, and in the darkness the spiritual light would shine. Whitmer in an address, page 12. Another account by Whitmer speaks of the translation appearing in bright, luminous letters James Hart, letter to the editor in Vogel's Early Mormon Documents, Volume 5, page 108. In one of his earliest detailed accounts of how Joseph Smith translated, Joseph Knight Sr., who helped support the Smith family financially during the translation process, here's what he had to say. Now, the way he translated was, he put the Urim and Thummim into his hat, and darkness. Oh, and he darkened his eyes. Then he would take a sentence, and it would appear in bright Roman letters. Then he would tell the writer, and he would write it. Aston Bradley, brand new book, another LDS scholar. So this propagandistic, ridiculous attempt to sway us into a false narrative, which Richard Bushman has criticized, has just got to stop. But Bednar, unfortunately, being the yes man for his higher up authorities in the church, is not done. He continues giving us an entirely historically created narrative that is much smoother and supposedly chronologically ordered series of events that just didn't happen
1: this way. Let's keep watching. ...about the necessity of baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. Joseph and Oliver went into the woods. Here, along the banks of the Susquehanna River to pray and to inquire of the Lord concerning the sacred ordinance. In answer to their petition, John the Baptist, now a resurrected being, was sent to restore the Aaronic or preparatory priesthood to the earth. Again, I will
0: show some historical sources in just a few minutes after we get through a couple other clips that shows this is all just eye wash and tissue. There's no validity to this created narrative that is highly misleading at best. Let's keep watching.
1: The heavenly messenger explained that he was acting under the direction of Peter, James, and John, the ancient apostles who held the keys of the higher priesthood. John the Baptist placed his hands upon the heads of Joseph and Oliver and conferred upon them the sacred priesthood authority necessary to act in the name of Jesus Christ. Having received the authority, Joseph and Oliver were directed to be baptized, and they obeyed. The coming of John...
0: Now, this is all just a concocted narrative, and it is actually... Astoundingly enough, based on the historical evidence, that both Mormon historians and ex-Mormon and non-Mormon historians have shown that Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith invented this narrative. But you don't hear about that in this video, do you? No, of course not. Let's keep going and seeing what else Bednar gives us as far as noise and uh, cacophony.
1: Coming of John the Baptist was a first step in the process of restoring the priesthood to the earth. A short time later, Peter, James and John were sent by the savior to Joseph and Oliver and conferred upon them the Melchizedek priesthood, the greater authority through which all spiritual blessings are administered and ordained them apostles in time other heavenly messengers bestowed upon joseph additional priesthood keys once again the pattern of servants and leaders being called by jesus christ and ordained by the laying on of hands by those who are in authority had been established on the earth and
0: this is pure baloney let's take a look shall we the historical record absolutely shows something entirely different now i am going to take just as an overview i have every intention of going into far more excessive great detail with my good and dear friend dan vogel here soon on the restoration of the priesthood for now i'm going to take my information because it is so beautifully and accurately summarized you heard it right accurately summarized by Jeremy Runnels in the CES letter. And I've got the evidence that regardless of the poopery that fair apologetics tries to defend against what Jeremy Runnels says, Runnels has history on his side and he has accurately described this priesthood issue in a nutshell. So I'm going to take it from him and I will share you share with you other sources. Like the First Vision story, and this is on page 88, 89, and 90 of Runnell's book, none of the members, like the First Vision, of the church in Joseph Smith's day or family prior to 1832 heard about a priesthood restoration from John the Baptist or from Peter, James, and John. Although the priesthood is now taught to have been restored in 1829, Joseph and Oliver made no such claim until 1832. That's three years later. Even in 1832, there were no claims of a restoration of the priesthood, just a reception of the priesthood, and there certainly was no specific claims of John the Baptist, or Peter, or James, or John. Like the first vision accounts, the story later got more elaborate and bold with specific claims of miraculous visitations from resurrected John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John. LDS historian and scholar Richard Bushman. Now here again, another very faithful Mormon. Richard Bushman from Columbia University. He wrote in his book, Rough Stone Rolling, which the Church does cite and use and propose as a valid history on the official Mormon Church website, for those of you who are really persnickety, on the official Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints website, Richard Bushman is supportingly referenced. Summarizing the key events in his religious life in an 1830 statement, he mentioned translation but said nothing about the restoration of priesthood or the visit of an angel. The first compilation of revelations in 1833 also omitted an account of John the Baptist. David Whitmer later told an interviewer that he had heard nothing of John the Baptist until four years after the church's organization. Not until writing in his 1832 history did Joseph include reception of the holy priesthood by the ministering of angels to administer the letter of the gospel among the cardinal events of his history, a glancing reference at best. The late appearance of these accounts raises the possibility of later fabrication. Now, Being a faithful Mormon and a historian, he can't come out flat out and say this was a fabrication, but all the rest of us know it is. He's just simply nudging it gently. I'm going to slam it down on the table as good evidence that what we have here is concocted history by Oliver and Joseph Smith. So David Whitmer, one of the witnesses to the Book of Mormon, had this to say about the priesthood restoration. I never heard that an angel had ordained Joseph and Oliver to the Aaronic priesthood until the year 1834 or 5 or 6 in Ohio. I do not believe that John the Baptist ever ordained Joseph and Oliver. Now, he finds that in Dan Vogel's Early Mormon Documents, Volume 5, page 137. Again, on page 88 of the CES letter, Joseph Smith and changed the wording—get this—they changed the wording of an earlier revelation— When they compiled the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, adding verses about the appearances of Elijah, of John the Baptist, of Peter, James, and John, as if those appearances were mentioned in the earlier Revelation in the Book of Commandments, which they weren't. Compare the 1833 Book of Commandments, Chapter 28, to the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, Section 50, which I have, and the chapter in Modern Doctrine and Covenants, Doctrine and Covenants, Section 27, which I also have. This section claims to be a revelation from the Lord to Joseph Smith in August 1830. Now, the crazy thing is that the following text is what Joseph and Oliver added to the 1830 Revelation in 1835. Now, they're making it look like in 1830, this is what actually happened. It takes Jeremy an entire page of typed text that's how much material Oliver Cowdery added to the revelation in order to make it look like they received the two different priesthoods none of this is in the early 1833 Book of Commandments none of it Had the restoration of the Aaronic Priesthood under the hand of John the Baptist been recorded prior to 1833, it would have been expected to appear in the Book of Commandments. However, nowhere in the Book of Commandments is this miraculous and doctrinally vital event recorded. It was retrofitted later when Joseph Smith needed to bolster his authority. Had the, re- of, had the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood under the hands of Peter, James, and John been recorded prior to 1833, we would have expected to, it to appear in the Book of Commandments. Again, that's the original Doctrine and Covenants. However, nowhere in the Book of Commandments is this miraculous and doctrinally vital event recorded either, neither of the priesthoods. It wasn't until the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery backdated and they retrofitted the priesthood restoration events to an 1829 1830 time period, none of which existed in any of the churches. Previous records. This includes the Doctrine and Covenants precursor, the Book of Commandments, nor is it in the original history as published in the Evening and Morning Star. Now, here's the really weird part where Joseph Smith really messed up. And of course, (laughs) you're not going to get this from the so called revelators and seers and enlightened leaders the twelve apostles and the first presidency the historians know vastly more about what really happened and they're willing to talk about the truth of the history the Melchizedek priesthood was given to Joseph Smith by Lyman White not Peter, James and John Here's the record. During the turbulent meeting, Joseph ordained five men to the high priesthood, and Lyman White ordained 18 others, including Joseph. The ordinations to the high priesthood marked a milestone in Mormon ecclesiology. Until that time, the word priesthood, And Granted, it did appear in the Book of Mormon, but it had not been used in Mormon sermonizing or modern revelations at all. Later accounts applied the term retroactively, but the June 1831 conference marked its first appearance in contemporary records. The Melchizedek Priesthood the one that Mormons now believe had been bestowed a year or two earlier with Peter, James, and John? If so, why did the contemporaries say the high priesthood was given for the first time in June 1831 after the church was formed? Joseph Smith himself was ordained to this high priesthood by Lyman White. If Joseph had already become an elder, an apostle, what was the necessity of being ordained again? Now, Runnels is quoting Rough Stone Rolling, and I've read that in his account, and Runnels is using the Mormon historian Richard Bushman exactly accurately. The actual minutes of this June 1831 conference shows Joseph Jr. and Sidney Rigdon were ordained to the high priesthood under the hands of Lyman White. And you can view this under the Joseph Smith Papers Project on the web. This isn't Runnels making a an invented make-believe anti-Mormon argument. He's giving the actual history to the LDS apostles and prophets make-believe invented history. The crazy thing is, I have Dan McClellan, his papers, wherein he also indicated, and I've got this on this page, Page 462, this is the text by the William E. McClellan Papers, 1854 to 1880, by Signature Books, 2007, wherein William McClellan says, You say to deny two priesthoods in the church is virtually and substantially a denial of the whole Latter-day work and a base delusion. I am well aware that the history of Joseph does say he was ordained to the Aaronic priesthood by John the Baptist. I don't believe it. Don't startle. I'll tell you why. No angel or spirit ever ordained a man to any office since the world began. Search the Bible. Search the Book of Mormon. I heard Joseph tell his experience of his ordination and the organization of the church probably more than 20 times. He was one of the early officers in the church with Joseph Smith and a very close associate. And in those 20 times, do persons who near the rise of the church wished to know and hear about it? I never heard of Moroni, John, or Peter, James, and John. It was after he fell from God that these things were put in, in order to sustain the falsehood of these two priesthoods. And what he's talking about there is after the complete disaster of the Zion's camp debacle, where a revelation from Jesus Christ told Joseph Smith that there were going to be 500 brethren, the elders of Israel, who were going to join in this Zion's camp march. And they were all going to march over 800 miles back to Missouri and retake the lands that were stolen from them they were going to wipe out their enemies and they were going to establish the new jerusalem where jesus christ would come again in independence missouri and it was a complete wipe out they not only did not go to war they made the march And by the time they got there, and Joseph Smith realized, oh, dang, I'm outnumbered 10 to 1. Okay, well, (laughs) let's call it off, boys. Oh, hold it, wait. Hark, I'm receiving a revelation. It's not necessary, thus saith the Lord, to take the land back at this time. Oh, well, let's go back home. And it was on their way back home that he not only... told them about Zelf the white Lamanite that they found in an Indian mound, which is ridiculous, but they also all caught cholera and it wiped out over half the army and the other half barely made it home. And by that time, everybody in the church was doubting Joseph Smith. And so what's he do? He rewrites the history and he adds in all these heavenly ordinations into the history to bolster his glorious own magnificent self. And that's the history that the church does not want you to know about. You are being deceived with whitewashed propaganda in this video produced by the church, narrated by Elder David A. Bednar. I also have verified and looked into Richard Bushman's Rough Stone Rolling. These guys are quoting Bushman correctly. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, that's the Freemasonry. Oh, I bet I can't find it. Yeah, that was the Kirtland Affair debacle, also. Anyway, I have read it. I won't take the time because I wanted to make this a short response and it's turning out longer. Here's the other thing I wanted to show you The Tanners, the changing world of Mormonism, they weren't lying. They described this process of how Joseph Smith was consistently, constantly changing the revelations, adding to them, changing the wording, and taking things out in order to bolster his own prestige. And you can see that these weren't just small grammatical changes. There are entire paragraphs completely crossed out and added to, which entirely changes the meanings of the Revelations, and it's not just one page or two pages. Now, these kinds of studies that the Tanners did back in the 1970s on the changes of the Revelations are actually verified by the Joseph Smith Papers Project. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has also given us this exact same information. We now know that the Tanners were the accurate historians, not the Boyd K. Packers, not the Marquis e. Petersons, not the Spencer W. Kimballs, not the Gordon B. Hinckleys, certainly not the Russell M. Nelsons, and definitely not their little puppy boy who puts out their stupid propaganda, David A. Bednar. D. Michael Quinn, the Mormon hierarchy, origins of power. Yes, I'm well aware he was excommunicated, etc. Yes, he was controversial, etc. All of his research has been fundamentally verified in the historical record that is accepted now by other valid Mormon and ex-Mormon historian critics, Jeremy Runnels, the Tanners, Richard Bushman and now D. Michael Quinn are all showing the same evidence historically that Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery invented the need for the two priesthoods to give him a special authority after all of his false prophecies about Zion's camp retaking the land of Missouri so that the second coming could happen. This is in The Case Against Mormonism by the Tanners, Volume 1. And I wanted to show you this page because it's a large page. See this side point right here in, in that bubble? That is the record that was added. And also on this other side over here, that was the entire extra page of material that Oliver Cowdery added into the Doctrine and Covenants about John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John that is not in the original Book of Commandments. This all was added five years later, and it completely changes the meaning. This is the stuff that once McClellan and Whitmer and several others began to read the Doctrine and Covenants they were scratching their heads saying what in the sam hill is going on none of this was in the original revelation none of it this is all invented this is the book of commandments chapter 28 and we can compare the doctrine and covenants section 27 which is the original book of commandments chapter 28 and you can see that the tanners are not just making this up. You know why we know? Because the Joseph Smith Papers project, which I have the book, and it's a huge cotton-picking book. I've got the original... You've got the actual photograph over here, and then the transcription on these pages of the entire Book of Commandments. When you compare this with the Doctrine and Covenants, you can see that the tanners showing those changes are validly showing the actual changes. The Church has given us the evidence that verifies Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery invented and then retrofitted the priesthood five years later. And that's all of the evidence I wanted to share. That's all the books I've got for you. Here's another online article by Lane Thewitt. It's called Priesthood, Restored or Retrofit. Google this and read it. I I don't give a damn if he's not Mormon. I don't care about his agenda. I care about his evidence. And his description of this exactly matches everything I've been telling you today. No Mormons seem to have known about the priesthood in the earliest years of the church. Now, it actually should have been one of the foremost topics of teaching, and instead there's no mention of any priesthood found in any of the histories, not in the diaries, it's not in the journals or the writings of church members, until several years after, after it had been established. And that's why David Whitmer said, I've never heard of it. Whitmer states that they were introduced into the church almost two years after its beginning. Now, the church, of course, says Joseph Smith had to have the priesthood first in order to restore the church in 1830. Everyone else is saying, It wasn't even available to read until after Joseph Smith revised his history. It's all invented. All mention of priesthood was added at a later time. In fact, the edition included 459 words that were not in the original revelation. I guess Jesus forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, by the way, (laughs) Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist, and all those guys. Yeah, uh uh-huh. You Mormons, you really, really need to see that you're swallowing propaganda and swill. That's just how the fact is. It's brutal, I know. It's hard. I get it. Doesn't make you feel very good. I get that, too. I've been there, too. But is the truth worth it? I'm here to tell you, along with hundreds of thousands of other people, that once you start getting the truth, you can actually begin sleeping better. None of the cockamamie bull roar that Fair Mormon tries to use to defend the restoration of the priesthood is worth spit. Those guys have just, they have gone off into the deep end. I agree with John DeLynn. Fair Mormon has become absolutely irrelevant. They are better at causing people to have doubts than even I am now. With my trying to attempt to get the true history, not so that you can doubt the church, but so that you can tell the leaders, you know what, I've had it with your stupid lunacy and idiotic handling of the history, you better start coming clean. Fair Mormon is a better way to show the world that they're not coming clean than anything I've ever shown. So, I mean, if you want to go to the online apologists, (laughs) that's entirely up to you. Good luck when you do. So, thanks for watching my Backyard Professor videos. I will be back with more as I discover more, which is pretty much daily.